You are Locked On Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. Welcome back to Locked On Irish, folks. I am Joe DeLeon, joined by Ryan Roberts. Today's episode, we will be recapping Notre Dame's victory over Pitt. We will then shift our focus onto the Senior Bowl, wrapping things up with a discussion on how guys did overall during the week. Did they improve their draft stock? Did they hurt it? Or did they stay the same? So, Ryan, we have to open with some basketball here. We've got a fantastic performance against Pitt, an 84-58 to victory. And this is a huge win against a quality Pitt team, a team that was well over 500, that was a little bit iffy in conference play, and Notre Dame fully took advantage of this matchup to push themselves now to 3-6 and six in the ACC. They are closing out on the spot, uh, at the 11th spot, right behind NC State, depending on how they do this upcoming Tuesday against Wake Forest. So despite their loss to Virginia Tech, they are on the rise right now, Ryan. They are climbing upward. A huge, huge victory, and I think this means so much for the rest of the season uh, for the Fighting Irish. Oh, it's it's absolutely monumental, honestly. You know, we, we don't want to get too hyperbolic off of one game, but like you said, Pitt's a good basketball team, so it was, I mean, phenomenal victory because you just look from start to finish. We've been talking about like, having a complete game. I mean, we're outscoring in both halves over 10 points in each half. I think I think the final breakdown was like they were up by 12 at half. They outscored them again by 14 in the second half. So it was a dominant victory from start to finish. And why it was so different than what we've seen from a typical Notre Dame basketball game is you saw, you know, the guys are still guys. Like Prentice Hub did some great things, good win. Dorham even pitched in a little bit. Nate Lashevsky didn't have his great scoring affair, but he was still a significant player down low. But the what was so different was – I feel like in most games, we see the game starts to go the other way. They start to fall apart a little bit in the second half where you really have to start really emphasizing, at least early in in second half and late in in first half, your your bench and get some minutes there. Well, Cormac Ryan with the 19 points off the bench, even uh, Jogo with eight points and seven rebounds off the bench. What for me was the big impact was we had 27 points off the bench compared to only 11 from Pittsburgh. Usually it's the other way around. We're usually not the team that has the advantage. And although we still didn't play a ton of players off the bench, what we were able to get as far as contributions, I thought was was notable. And to and to be able to really, you know, continue momentum even when starters have to come out. And if you would have told me before this game that Nate Lashevsky would have had seven total points and we would have won by what is that quick math? 26 points. Like I would have called you a liar because that, that has been the guy that's been the go-to all um, all season so far. Shout out to Cormac Ryan with obviously the big performance off the bench. Shout out to Prentice Hub because I've been talking about efficiency with him. Five from nine for the four, five to seven for three, two for two from free throw. Like he was hitting his shots, nine assists, 17 points. That's what we need for Prentice Hubs. Then the bench scoring was a big deal. It was just an overall outstanding performance from Notre Dame start to finish. 
And the two things, like individual performances, that 19 points is nuts. That's a, a huge game from Cormac Ryan, who shot five for six from three, the best three-point shooting day in this game. And then close behind him was Prentice Hub, who had 17. And those nine assists were very apparent in this game. And that was what really stood out to me, is there were a lot of times where Hub was driving to the basket, and then he would kick it out to Lashevsky, who would kick it out to Durham, who would hit a, you know, a nice basket in the paint. And the overall aspect of why this game was so successful for Notre Dame was that they were able to build a nice base Early on with some some simple jumpers outside the paint, driving in the paint, attacking the basket. But they then started to expand where their success has always been. And Ryan, when you weren't here when I did the last recap, the one thing that I talked about a ton was this this team is so predictable. If they shoot well from three, they win. If they don't shoot well from three, they don't win. And it feels so redundant continually, continuously talking about the same stuff. And that was 100% the case again. I can predict every time, single time, who won the game without knowing the score based on how well Notre Dame shoots? And they shot 54% from three. They ended up hitting 13 three-pointers out of 24. That is a fantastic performance to hit 13 three-pointers, a reason why they were able to score 84 points as Pitt was just chucking up any three-pointer that was available to them and were not hitting any of them. The only way that you're going to beat a Notre Dame team that is shooting well from outside and you're giving them those, those opportunities is if you go shot for shot with them. And there have not been enough teams that we've seen so far that when Notre Dame is hot, that they can go shot for shot. So we continually have to see these efforts made shooting from outside. More needs to be done to put consistent performances like this out there on tape. Because when you play these bigger opponents, if you can do well against these good defensive outside teams, you know, that's how you get more important wins. They need to continually shoot better from outside. And this was just yet another perfect example of what they're capable of doing. And maybe they, they can't put together games like this against Virginia Tech and Virginia, but at the very least, they should be able to beat some of these mid-tier teams in the ACC because that's, that's exactly what Pitt was coming into this game. I think I just keep saying it over and over, man, and not to keep harping on it, but Notre Dame is their own, own worst enemy. You know, with the games that they lose... You see, like, they're missing open jumpers. They're turning the basketball over. In this game, like, you already talked about, like, how high of a percentage, 56 from the floor, 54 from three. They also only turn the ball over seven times. We have seen some games where Prentice Hub maybe is not shooting well, and then he is also turning the ball over a little bit. And that's kind of been a problem at some points for Notre Dame in general. And when you look at defensively, I think Notre Dame was suffocating in this game. They played with an outstanding level of effort and Pitt only shot, I think 32% from the floor, 31 from three. So everything that Pitt was, was getting was difficult for them. And shout out to Juwan Dorm, shout out to Nate Leshevsky. There were no easy baskets in this game. Notre Dame really from an outside oriented team that they are, they really hit their open jumpers, caused a lot of tough shots from Pittsburgh. that just weren't falling for me. Again, Notre Dame just from start to finish really, Put together. I mean, was this their best all-around effort when you really think about it? Because of this, you know, high of a percentage against a solid team, and then playing this level of defense, I would argue that this might be Notre Dame's most impressive victory so far this season. Yeah, this this really puts it up there for me in in terms of their best win, and I, I think it was a little similar to how they played against Boston College. And the more times that they shoot over fifty percent. 
more likely than not, they're probably smoking whoever they're playing. So up coming up as as Wake Forest, who they're playing on Tuesday, we will do a preview show uh, or a preview segment rather on tomorrow's show right before the game, just because we have some Senior Bowl stuff that we want to cover. Um, but that is going to be an important game. It's a low quality Wake Forest team that they can probably beat pretty easily. But if they continue to follow this trend of putting together, you know, two back-to-back good wins, shooting well from three, they should be able to string together uh, enough back and forth, you know, two win streaks to push themselves into that middle seating like we've talked about. And I continually say that it is very, very realistic for this squad to reach that point, get to that 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 eight seed is where they should probably be striving for by the time that the ACC tournament comes around because then it doesn't put them in too difficult of a path, but a realistic one to possibly make it to maybe the quarterfinals uh, of the ACC tournament. Coming up, we are going to discuss the offensive players at the Senior Bowl, discussing how their draft stocks were impacted based on how they played. Before we get to that, though, folks, let's talk about bet online. Are you ready for the Super Bowl coming up at the end of the week? And if you're going to be betting during the Super Bowl, there's only one place that has you covered and one place that you can trust. That is betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use promo code locked on for your 50% welcome bonus. Super Bowl is going to be a fantastic matchup. We have the Kansas City Chiefs back-to-back years in the Super Bowl facing off against Tampa Brady, who... It seems like every single year he is in the Super Bowl. New team, can he pull off the victory? Will Patrick Mahomes end up with back-to-back Super Bowls? If you have a hunch on who's going to win this game, go put some money down. 10, 20 bucks, go make yourself some money after this game. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action and don't forget to use promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. More of the sports news you need in less time with our new Locked On Today podcast. Peter Bukowski hosts Locked On Today, a daily podcast breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts. Start your day with all of the sports news you need in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get your podcasts. Also hit that subscribe button for us and leave us a five-star review if you enjoy listening to the show. So we're going to run through every single one of these prospects, Ryan, um, all of the guys that played in the Senior Bowl and, and just giving a, a brief little tidbit on how we thought they did during the week. If we thought that they improved their stock, if we thought that they stayed the same, or if we thought that they hurt their stock. So Ryan, let's start with the quarterback who was named the uh, national team. I believe he was on the national team uh, quarterback of the week, which is a fantastic accomplishment. But where do you stand on him? Where do you think that he he did in terms of uh, performance? I mean, he he outplayed for the most part of the week. Sam Ellinger and Felipe Franks are on his team, and you know that was something where, like, when you compare that that quarterback roster to Mac Jones, Jamie Newman, and Kellen Mond on the other team, like that was obviously the least impressive quarterback group. So, just some context there. Now, that being said, Ian Book had a solid week. It was fine. I don't think that if we're just talking about his raw draft grade here, right? Like, I don't think that he did anything during that week, during that game, that made you say like, huh, 
he might be better than what I thought he was. I need to go back to the film because that's what those All-Star games are, are designed for. They get people that maybe you haven't watched out in front of you as much and like, wow, I need to go go to that film. I need to check out that, that smaller school kid. Or it takes a guy like Ian Book, who has been in the national spotlight for several years, and you go like, huh, I watched the film, but he did something a little different than what I anticipated. He was a little better. He did this. I wasn't expecting it. So now I need to go back. I need to watch more. I need to see if there's more potential there. For me, Ian Book didn't really do that. Like, you watched him. You're like, that's what he is. It's, it's fine. Yeah. He's a fringe NFLer, but maybe a CFL guy. Like, that's what, what that's like his, he can stick in a right situation, like a Trace McSorley, who I keep comparing him to. For me, that's what he is. There's nothing wrong with that. But for me, he didn't move the needle. I think he's right where he was before Senior Bowl week started. I, I agree with you. I, I think that he stayed consistent. I, I will say that he did slightly help himself in the sense that he didn't make any, you know, major egregious mistakes. I, I think that. You know, his throws were accurate, and we knew coming into this with, you know, short to intermediate throws, that's where he's going to be consistent and accurate. I think that he's good enough right now to probably be a day three draftable backup quarterback. The commentators were a little bit too rich in their assessment for me that they were saying that some thought that he might become a future starter. Yeah, Joe Montana. I'm like, come on, guys. We can't. Ian Book is just, is not Joe Montana. quarterback success is also very different than it was in the 90s so I I just in the 80s I don't know if that's a a very healthy comparison but the one thing that the reason why I say that he stayed mostly the same and uh, Mark Schofield who writes for Big Blue View I I wrote it read his assessment of him and I really agreed with what he what he had to say about Ian Book was you know he didn't make any mistakes but he did exactly what we knew that he does which is you know he's just the right. simple check down easy throw king that's all he does and that's why he won the award for best quarterback because he just did everything that he does right but you need to do something you need to excel and that's what we talked about at the end at the beginning of the week he needs to outperform and shine and do crazy things that we didn't know that he was capable of doing and he didn't really do that. And I don't think that's a problem. He's probably going to be a day three pick. Some team is going to grab him and love him as their next backup quarterback. Uh, a Trace McSorley, as you said. I think Colt McCoy is a really good comp for him, too, that you know maybe he comes in and starts, and then we're a little disappointed and hope that he could have done more. But a good backup. Earned a lot of money. Stayed on a lot of rosters. Stepped in and won some football games. I think that's uh, definitely a, a realistic assessment for Ian Book. Ryan, how about Ben Skaronic, who it seems like some people are a little negative on. What did you think of him? I think Ben is what he is. Like, if you went into a week and you thought, like, wow, this guy could be a massive riser, I think you're very mistaken. He was a guy that got onto the to the draft scene pretty late there. You know, the former Northwestern transfer. What he does, you can't. You're not going to really highlight as much in one on one environment in in the draft process of the Senior Bowl, right? Like, he is a physical wide receiver who can win at the catch point a little bit who can block his tail off and probably is going to be a core team special teamer. Like that's probably how he makes a roster in the one-on-one matchups where he's working against some of these more talented corners, like Benjamin St. Juice from uh, Minnesota was the guy that kept giving him problems. He's not an instant separation guy. He's not one of those flexible slot receivers who can get in and out of his break quickly and create really quick separation at the top of his uh, top of his stem. Like that's not what Ben Skoranek is. And if that was your expectation going into the week, then I'm sure he went backwards. But for me, like I feel the same about Ben Skoranek as I did before the week. I think that he has a shot to get taken late, maybe a UDFA. But for me, he's still a guy that a team's going to love. And I think he has a good chance to make a team. 
because he's going to do all the little things that you want in a backup wide receiver and a special teamer. Like that didn't change for me. I just feel like if you are down on Ben Skoranek now compared to where you were before, I think you weren't really sure of what player he was because he's not going to be that guy again that in one-on-one matchups is going to make cornerbacks look dumb. He's not going to beat you with a ton of easy separation and quickness out of breaks. Like he's a grinder and there's nothing wrong with that, but you just need to temper your expectations a little bit with it. Yeah. I'm also on a, um, uh, you know, hasn't changed much pick here for Skoranek. Maybe it's a slight lean towards hurt himself a little bit just because, you know, had he not come to this game, we wouldn't have seen him get bodied so much in one-on-ones and, and completely shut down. So, it, you know, the, the, there was no improvement. There's nothing that he really did out there that helped him. If anything, just seeing him get beat up, it's not going to hurt him a ton because like you said, we already kind of knew what he was. And I think a lot of teams already knew what he was. I would be really shocked if he went out there and was just killing dudes in one-on-ones or was even winning a couple reps here or there in one-on-ones or just in general um, in man coverage. But like you said, uh, he's going to stick around and he's going to be drafted probably in sixth, seventh round, maybe high prior to UDFA because he is going to be a core special teamer, somebody you can put at end on punt, somebody you can run down on kickoff, block on kickoff return. Uh, he has the perfect build. He's a big, strong, smart kid. He went to, went to Northwestern and then Notre Dame. Like He's going to have his head on his shoulders. He's going to bring a really good presence to your team. But you're not drafting Ben Skronik, assuming that he's going to turn into uh, Calvin Johnson or something like that. No, you're or DK Metcalf. No, you're drafting him because he's going to be um, busting his butt on special teams. That's about it. You know, We don't need to go too crazy on Skronik. I, I don't think that he was somebody who we thought was going to shine and, and make a ton of money and become a second-round pick. It just, it just wasn't going to happen. Speaking of second-round picks, Aaron Banks, where do you sit on him, Ryan? Uh, so Banks is a guy for me. If I if you're asking me, like, did he improve his stock for me? I don't think so because I was already high for him. But, like, the general media consensus, right? Like, that's what larger scope. I think that he improved his stock just by being in front of people. Again, we keep talking like he was a guy that was a – not strange, but like a guy that maybe some people didn't quite think was going to be an early declarity de- for Notre Dame. I was kind of leaning towards it, but like he wasn't a guy that I think was on the front of people's mind in this guard class. So I think that although I I would say that he had kind of an up and down week, especially, you know, those one-on-ones is not predicated towards where Aaron Banks does his best work. We saw when Aaron Banks got to the team drills, right? In in the, in this, in the 11 on 11s, like even inside run, outside run, those types of situations, Aaron Banks showed why he's so highly coveted. Him getting to the second level and some of those combos at some point, you're like, yeah, buddy, like we can do that. And, and one-on-one pass blocking, that's not really a drill that guards are going to flourish in a ton unless you're you know, an elite player. But Aaron Banks, I think, solidified himself. And I think that if we're talking about the general consensus here, I think that he improved his stock just by being in front of people, watching what he did in team drills. For me, I would say, for I mean, I feel the same about him as I did beforehand. But I think that just getting him in front of people was absolutely huge for his draft stock. I'm not going to disagree with you on that one. I think just being there and 
showing what he does. He wasn't going to dominate every single rep, but we saw the things that work well for him. He talked about getting to the second level, being a good run blocker. Uh, not super consistent in the one-on-one pass rush reps. There were a couple times where I was watching him and he just wasn't moving his feet as effectively I was, I was, I was hoping and he got beat. But you, as you mentioned, being in front of people, uh, there were some people who just didn't know who he was, who were just making claims about his draft stock, saying that he was a, a sixth rounder, which, uh, you know, that, that's just from the fact that they have not watched him and don't know anything about him. But when we see Aaron Banks, I think the, uh, you know, more people were able to realize there's a reason why he was so highly graded by PFF. I'm not the biggest fan of going off PFF grades. But if you're graded that highly, you're probably at least worth a day to pick because you're not letting up a lot of pressures and you're usually, or he is typically very, very good in the run game. So he's a guy that improved just because he was out there being able to show off the expectations of what he was capable of doing has not changed, but just being there and being talked about a little bit more uh, definitely helped Aaron Banks. Now, Robert Hainsey, who's our last offensive player, uh, I have to come out and say it, Ryan, I, I think that as a he's a split guy for me so as a guard and as a tackle he hurt himself I don't think he really gave me a whole lot that I was excited about kind of what I was expecting I was telling you a, a lot this week he's short-armed and the length just really popped to me the issues but and I said this on the Friday show when I did it myself um I really liked what he did at center, and I think that he snapped really well. I think that he blocked well. There were some some pass rush reps I saw from him, and I really liked, and I, I think that he is going to make a career more so out of being a center slash guard rather than a guard tackle who can snap. I think that seeing him snap is going to help him more as a center prospect than what he did as a guard tackle. So my opinion on Robert Haynes going into the week was, hey, he's that perfect swing guy. He's going to play some guard. He's going to maybe have some snaps to center. He can play tackle. He can back up a bunch of multiple positions. So he can probably grab onto a roster spot for a decent amount of time. Like that's, you know, that, that ability to play, to be versatile and to play multiple spots is huge. But one thing I wasn't anticipating here was, hey, we heard when Jared Patterson went down, Robert Hainsey was the person that people actually threw out first, like, hey, maybe he's going to move to center. And I will tell you, I am very, I'm not, not upset, but I am disappointed that we did not get to see him at center during this season. Because right. I'm telling you right, like, he's going to be a tough eval because you're going to watch his play at center and you'll be like, wow, that's good stuff, man. Like, and I will say this, biggest riser of the week for me. Biggest riser of the week on both sides of the ball for Notre Dame, in my opinion. Because I looked at that center position when he was, you know, taking reps at one on ones and even in team drills, I'm like, dude, looks like he might be a starting yeah. caliber center, like he does. But the problem is now if he's one of those guys that's like, wow, he's better than I thought. Maybe I should go take a look. You're not going to get any look <laughs> at him at center. Yeah. Like that's it's, it's so it's a really <laughs> tough like disjointed eval. But like if we're just talking about like upside here. He's, I don't think he's just like this high floor backup type player. Like there might be some substantial uh, development possibility at center. I think that he has, because then when you look at the, the, the look of him, like six, four plus 300 pounds, 32 inch arms for centers, fine. Like when you add in all those things together and the tough physical nature he plays with and the solid athleticism to play center, like is he a starter upside at center? I think he might, if he hits the right situation, if he's able to develop. I think that Robert Hainsey 
helped himself maybe more than any Notre Dame player during the senior bowl week, being able to showcase what he can do at center. I really like that. I really like that point that, that you make there. And again, it just really stood out to me how well he did at center. And I actually came into this not knowing what your thoughts were on it, just because we haven't been able to talk the past couple of days. Um, but, you know, just uh, I, I was impressed. I really liked what he saw. And I almost wish that as soon as they were giving him more center reps and he snapped a decent amount in the game and also during practices, I really wish that they just said, all right, Robert, we're, you're not going to play any rest of the guard. I, I, the rest, we want to, the evaluators, the scouts, they want to see you at center. I, they definitely gave him more than maybe they were anticipating. But, you know, regardless, um, it it was a very good week for Hainsey. And I think that not many people are going to, not, not many people might acknowledge that, but he definitely helped himself based on his performance. Coming up, we're going to talk about Dalen Hayes and Ade Ogundiji. Before we get to that, though, Ryan, why don't you talk to our listeners about Bill Barr? Welcomed our first child into the world. And I must say, the first couple of days, I'm sure parents out there listening understand this, not too much sleep. You're kind of running on, on fumes sometimes. So for me, having Bill Barr and having the replacement applications of meals, for me, was absolutely huge and gave me that extra burst of energy. And, and being a person that has had Bill Bar now for several months, they were a- absolutely a lifesaver for me over the last few days. If you have not been with Bill Bar yet, pr- best protein bar on the market. Comes in 18 amazing flavors, both nut and non-nut flavors. The 12 original flavors. You can go for coconut almonds, raspberry, German chocolate cake, peanut butter, banana bread, mint brownie, salted caramel few others and the absolute best protein bar I've still have ever had is peanut butter brownie to make it even better for you. Six new flavors, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. They have it literally have a flavor profile for any palate out there. The bars are all covered in a hundred percent real chocolate, soft and easy to chew. Built Bar is great for the health conscious guy and girl on the go. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in one of these delicious treats. All the bars are low calorie, low sugar, but high in protein, high in fiber, and also great for the keto diet. I mentioned peanut butter earlier, 19 grams of protein, only 180 calories, only five grams of sugar, only five gram net carbs. Other bars, including coconut almond, cherry barcia, cookies and cream, all of these bars are equally as good for you as they are delicious. Built Bar, to add on to it, has also reset the promo code for this relaunch. Now you can get a free cooler with purchase while supplies last. Make sure to take advantage of that offer today. Don't be too late on that. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON. That's all capital, locked on, no spaces. And you'll get 20% off of your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Coming up on Tuesday's show, as I said earlier, we will be previewing Notre Dame's important matchup with Wake Forest as they are trying to string together back-to-back wins in the ACC. So let's wrap up today's show. We've got two more names that we want to hit on, two important names, defensive guys that we mentioned as strong players early on in the week. Let's start with Dalen Hayes. Ryan, where do you sit with him? How do you think he did? Because we, we talked about how... Dalen was this super high motor guy and the reason why he was doing well in one-on-one reps and on the field was because he was busting his ass he was going full speed every single rep 
And a lot of people were talking about him based on that stuff. And then later in the week and more throughout the practices on day two, day three, I mentioned on the Friday show how we were seeing Dalen do some coverage stuff. And he did okay, but I think he's probably going to make more money as a stand-up pass-rushing outside linebacker that can cover guys one-on-one, tight ends one-on-one, just to show some variation in your defensive scheme. Dalen's a guy that's probably going to fit best into a 3-4. Now, you either a 3-4 Sam, which, like you were saying, is going to play a little more in space, play a little more in coverage, or you're going to be that weak side pass rusher who's that guy that, hey, one-on-one against left tackles in most situations. Like, that's probably your best pass rusher is. I think Dalen probably fits better into the Sam role just because, like, going into the week, I didn't think that he was this, you know, high-volume sack guy type of thing. But I will tell you, man, he first day he started the day off with a bang against Spencer Brown, where he just put his outside foot in the ground and bull rushed right down the middle of him and put him on his back. And he did that pretty consistently against every offensive lineman he played against all week. So now he's a guy that has me going back to the film because I'm like, huh, is he a potentially higher um, higher echelon pass rusher than I originally gave him credit for? Is he that? Could he be that rush backer in a three four system? Because we started out the week. I wasn't overly impressed by his weigh-in. Like, he weighed in exactly where I thought he would. His arms were about the length that I thought they would be. But his play on the field, I mean, he's among the best risers among the pass rushers, I think, in this week as far as outside pass rushers because he showed me more as just a raw pass rusher than I anticipated. He was able to win the edge. He had power through his hands, through his hips. Like, there was a lot of good things to come around. And for me, Dalen, I think, is going to get valued somewhere late day two, early day three, because I think that he showed things in that in that, um, in that that spectrum, in that event, that maybe he didn't show as much on tape. So now people are going to say, hey, there's upside there. We can, we can work with that. Yeah, the, the upside, I think, is really key. And just his overall skill set and what we saw from him at Notre Dame is definitely going to help his draft stock. And we were able to see him a little bit more in a, a true pass rush setting uh, during this week. I, I really do like where you're projecting him somewhere day two, maybe early day three. And it sounds kind of funny when we discuss uh, all these guys, and it sounds like we're all, all we're mentioning all of them somewhere on day two, early day three. But I think that's just a, a realistic projection, except for Book and, and Skoranek. Uh, but Hayes, yeah, I think he definitely helped himself because coming in, this was already a really weird edge class. Sorry, uh, defensive end, outside linebacker class. I forgot we're not allowed to say edge, according to David <laughs> Turner. Um, this was already a little bit of a weird class because there's a, a lot of volatility in terms of who believes at the top. There's a lot of confusion on who people think are in the middle. And you needed a week like this to really solidify some things. So like we just did the, the Believe in NFL Draft Prospects show and we talked a ton about Ellerson Smith who's probably going to push himself into uh, this middle round conversation but I think Hayes as a a different non just straight up um, 4-3 defensive end I think that he might help himself as that pass rushing 3-4 outside linebacker just based on what he did this week he showed that he's capable of playing the, that position and then the last player Ade Ogundiji didn't do a whole lot during the game um, but a lot of people were talking about him during one-on-ones during the week of practice as he continued to show some flashes and then looked a little bit inconsistent. So like the, the thing I talked about Friday, Ryan was how he would completely like burn a guy would, you know, would, would use his length really effectively, um, 
was was just explosive and twitchy as we talked about that he's capable of being and he would win a rep through that but then the next time like I, I think it was Quinn Miners who I watched him go against who had a fantastic week he go against him and then he kind of gave up made a rep he just kind of stood yeah. there and then as soon as he got stopped he just stopped he just didn't do anything so yeah. he didn't piece it all together but those flashes I think definitely helped him and I think Dalen and him are a little different because I think Dalen has that frame where like he can come inside and he has a little more power than Adi does Adi just – he won the weigh-in to start the week, right? Because people saw those 35-plus-inch arms. They saw 6'4 plus, 255 pounds. Like, he looks the part. He looks like that guy, like how you draw up an outside rusher. For me, it was up and down, but you still saw the flashes. The question is how high are you going to value those flashes because he's not going to be a guy for me that's going to, you know, really – He's not going to affect the game early on in his career. He's going to be a guy that still needs that development because he is a late bloomer. He's not a guy that's fully grown into his body. There's no power profile. He's not a guy that you're going to say, hey, on, on pass rushing downs, we're going to put you inside to work against guards. Like, no, he's a pure outside guy right now because there's no power profile. But, I mean, honestly, if you went into the week and you were kind of like, you didn't know who Adi Elgandiji was, you came out and, and he definitely upped his draft stock because the minute that he stepped onto that scale and you saw those long limbs, you're like, that's how you draw it up. So I can I can work with that type of guy. And then the flashes kind of add on to that understanding of Adi Ogandiji. I don't think that he's a guy that's going to help you immediately, but those, those defensive ends, those raw players who are pass rushers, who have that ability and have that length, are always going to rise. So look for Adi to continue to rise because he looks the part. It's just about him. He has all these tools. It's about putting it all together and then turn it into a tangible thing where you could say that is how that guy's going to win on a consistent basis. I saw a really goofy take that somebody said he was uh, a possible late first rounder, and that that's Silly. nonsense to me because there are and we and I think the the thing that we've talked about he's more interior defensive line than he is a pass rusher. Correct? You would agree with that. I think that he is a pure speed rusher right now. I don't think he okay. has much of a power profile. Okay. I think that he's long-limbed. He's got some quickness to him. But, like, you saw it even in the run-blocking drills working against, like, Deontay Smith from ECU. Like, there's not a ton of power through his hips right now. He's still a late bloomer. Right. For me, like, to say first-rounder, like, that guy needs to yeah. contribute early. <laughs> like, right, right. I, I'm, a, I'm a little hesitant on him even, like, late day two just because I don't think that there's going to be a ton of immediate return. But, like, you can sell me on upside. I just don't. I don't understand how somebody could value him that high right now. Well, and the other thing too is just if you look at all the other guys ahead of him, like they're and it's not a, a great defensive line class this year. It's and we've talked about that on the Believe Show. We've talked about it a little bit on here. It's not a great class, but there's still more quality, well-rounded guys ahead of him. There's depth in this class. This there's yeah. there's not there's not that absolute guy at the top. Like I like Greg Rousseau, I like Aziz Ojulari, but there's not that guy. There's not like a, a ton of you know, high caliber, big name guys at the top. This is more like, hey, day two, there's a ton of guys. Early day three, there's a ton of guys. It's making sense of the order, but I, I don't think that Adi is going to be one of those guys where like, hey, on day two, I'm going to bank on the upside, but then also get some immediate return. I just don't think he's that type of player. Yeah, yeah, that definitely makes sense. All right, folks, that is all we have for you on today's show. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Joe DeLeon, at Rise and Draft, and at Locked on Irish. Hit that subscribe button and leave us a five-star review if you enjoy the show. Stay tuned for Tuesday as we will be previewing the Wake Forest matchup. And then if you're looking for something else to tune into, either head over to Locked on Bets or Locked on Today. We'll talk to you tomorrow, folks. Enjoy the rest of your day.